And as we're going through this next season as a church, you're probably going to have questions. You have questions for myself. You're going to have questions for the board. Maybe you even have questions to God. You know, where are you leading us? Are you in this God? Are you leading us here, God? And those are great questions to ask. And as we enter the season, we enter into it with prayer. We enter into it with, with lots of questions. And we pray that God will lead and speak to our board, to our leaders, those in the district that are helping us as well navigate this next season. But as Christians, we go through these seasons as well, these seasons of change. Sometimes they happen quite quickly. Sometimes they're unexpected. And you might find yourself in the midst of that season going, where are you, God? Where are you taking me here? You might even go, okay, I don't have control. Lead me to where you want me to go. You might even have questions like, or you've been saying, I've been praying about this. I've been seeking you and and I've been asking you to guide me. Are you here? Where are you? Where do I go? I've shared many times part of my journey and how God called us into ministry. And before that, he called us to wait. And he called me to just wait, to be still, to be patient. But when God, some years later, called us out of that season of waiting into a season of ministry, I wasn't quite ready. I was wanting to get on, and I wanted to do those things. I wanted to, to pursue that ministry, that calling on my life, but I was comfortable where I was. And I wanted that call on my life to fit into my comfortable bubble. My first thought when, when we you know, talked about going to ministry, when some people had brought this up and God was speaking to us, my first thought was, well, I'll keep working for my dad. Maybe I'll work you know, three-quarter time, not full-time, and, and I'll go to school in Abbotsford part-time. It was maybe half an hour away from my house at the time, an hour if it was bad traffic. And that was our first thought. So, okay, well, I guess, you know, I'll apply for a loan. We were newly married at this time, about a year in. Today's actually seven years for us, so happy anniversary. Um, but yeah, we were, we were about a year in, or six months in, I guess, when God called us, and, and we were wondering how this is gonna work. We had just paid off some debt, we had no money, we were wondering what's going to be next, so we applied for a loan and, you know, the small ones because we thought, oh, well, I'll just work still and, and I'll go to school in Abbotsford. And so I applied, or I reapplied to Columbia Bible College because uh, that's where we met. I had attended there before and I had friends on the admissions team. And so we started that conversation and talked about which program and all those things and filled up my whole application and I sent it off. In the meantime, Aaron also suggested that, you know, we apply to Prairie College because they had a good uh, married student program and good um, things as well for that. So I applied to Prairie Bible College in Three Hills and sent that off as well. And my original thought was, well, we'll see what Prairie says, but I'll go to CBC. That'll be easy. I'll do part-time schooling and I'll still work and everything will be fine and comfortable. Obviously, God had other plans. We ended up going to Prairie Bible College because they responded very quickly, and they got back to me and they said, yeah, your application has gone through, we'd love for you to attend here. Oh, awesome, great. Meanwhile, Columbia Bible College, where my friends were, never got back to me. We were waiting in weeks, turned into months, and to this day, I never heard anything. <laughs> I don't know if my file got dropped, I don't know if, if what happened, if those friends really didn't like me. 
But it was very clear to us that God was calling us to Three Hills to study there. He was calling us out of our comfort zone, calling us to, to leave family and friends, uh, you know, friends and family that I had worked with my whole life, that I've been with my whole life. I mean, I grew up very close with my extended family uh, because my parents are both from Paraguay, from South America, and my dad's side of the family is all still there, but my mom's family is in the lower mainland, and so we were always very close together. My dad started this, his business with one of those uncles, so I saw my family and cousins and uncles and aunts daily, if not monthly, when we gathered together for family gatherings or whatever it was, and it was comfortable and it was great, and we thought that was going to work. And God started calling us to Three Hills, and I said, ah, I don't really want to do that. We'll just stay here. And when that door closed and this one was wide open, it was very clear, and God was, it was like God was speaking to us and saying, can you hear me now? I'm calling you over here. And so we went. That was hard. It was a time of growth, for sure. But God had a plan. And I knew that he was calling us there. God has a plan for each and every one of you for your life, no matter how old you are or how young you are. And sometimes I feel like we can be over-focused on those plans or, or hyper-focused. We don't want to make decisions unless God is directing us very specifically. Sometimes, and I had this in my own life, especially when we were graduating from Three Hills, sometimes there's multiple options, and God is just saying, you choose. That's okay. You can pick this one or that one or that one. Sometimes God slams those other doors and it makes it very clear that this is the path. This is the way that I am calling you. There's a many, many great examples of God calling and setting a direction for people in the Old Testament. And one of the, these examples that came to my mind this week as I was writing this sermon is from Jonah. In the book of Jonah. It's only four chapters long. And we don't know much about Jonah other than what's written here, and a few other things written in 2 Kings, when it talks about a genealogy, about rulers and kings and the prophets that served. But God called Jonah, and he says in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 to 3, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amity. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish, he went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port, and after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. He was scared. Not only did he, he didn't just stay where he was and, uh, and ignore that calling, he ran away. He went in a different direction. God was calling him this way, and he went that way. He wanted to get far away from Nineveh as possible. And so God intervened, and as we, I'm not going to read through the whole book of Jonah, I'll Kind of sum it up here a little bit. But God intervened on that ship, and a ferocious storm came up, and Jonah was sleeping in the boat. Reminds me of another time that Jesus was sleeping on a boat during a storm. But Jonah was sleeping, and, and the men on the boat came and found him, and they said, you need to pray to your God, because we're about to die. You need to get up here, and we're going to figure this out. And they casted lots, and they figured out, okay, well, this is Jonah's fault. Why, why are you here? Who are you? Why have you brought this calamity on us? And Jonah says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm a prophet for the Lord, Yahweh. 
And it says that these sailors, that these people on the boat were terrified. And so they were like, okay, well, what do we need to do to make this right? And Jonah said, well, I'm running away from God, so if you just throw me over the ship, over into the water, everything will be good. And they're like, well, let's try and figure out a different way. But they didn't. That was how it had to happen. And so Jonah is thrown over, this, over the edge, and the storm ceases. And in chapter 2, as Jonah is drowning, God sends a great big fish to swallow him up. And I was studying in one commentary this week, put a little note in there, and it said that the Hebrew word for great fish could also mean sea serpent. And I just thought that was kind of neat. Because there's other times in the Bible that talks about sea serpents, like the Leviathan and sort of that sort of thing. So, I don't know, that was interesting for me as I was studying. But God sent this big fish, and it swallowed Jonah up. And in chapter 2, he writes this long prayer, or he says this long prayer of how God saved him from drowning. Now he's sitting in this, in this fish. And at the end of it, God commands the fish to spit him up onto dry land. And in Jonah chapter 3, verse 1 to 3, it says, And the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give to you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Imagine that. He obeyed the second time. I guess he didn't want to go on another boat. I guess he didn't want to be in another fish. God is, it seems like God's standing there and going, well, can you hear me now? You're going to Nineveh. You're not going anywhere else. This is the path set for you. I will send a storm. I will send a fish to swallow you up if we're going to get you there, and we're going to get you there. And Jonah went, and he preached there, and the city repented and turned away from their evil ways. But Jonah was so unhappy about it and just wanted God to condemn them all for their evil and their sinful ways, but God restores them instead. Jonah was so upset, and he goes up on the hillside to watch. He's thinking some Sodom and Gomorrah stuff is going to happen here, that this place is going to burn. And God says, no, I'm going to save them instead. And Jonah's sitting there, and he's so frustrated and so unhappy, and God comes to him, and he's like, why are you so angry? What is making you so upset? Uh, in chapter 4, verse 9, he said, I am so angry, I wish I were dead. I am so angry, I wish I were dead. Why? You know, this book of Jonah kind of ends there. It ends with Jonah being frustrated and angry as the city is saved from condemnation. But why is Jonah so upset at this? As I was studying through it, some commentaries mentioned how the city, it wasn't just stooped a little bit in evil. I've heard some pastors say it was kind of like the Vegas of its time. It was way worse than that. It was stooped way more. They were about human sacrifices and child sacrifices to, to their God, to worship their false gods. Some people say that Jonah was so upset because he had family or friends that were captured and taken as those sacrifices. And so rightly so, Jonah knows this city, knows the evil that's there, and knows what they could do to him if they didn't like him. If he comes here and says, God's going to condemn you, and he, they could kill him. So he's upset. He knows all the terrible things that they've done, and God has relented. God relented his, and <laughs> relinquished his punishment and saved them they turned away from their sin and prayed to God for their salvation. It's also interesting is that they, they you know, 
put sackcloth on. They said, you know, we're going to fast, we are going to pray, and we're going to pray and worship God now. The men that were on the boat when Jonah was thrown over in the sea calm, they did the same thing. They got down on their knees and they prayed and worshipped God. Because they knew of the power that he had. For many of us, when we hear Jonah or the book of Jonah, we think about him in the belly of a whale. Or a big fish or a sea serpent, apparently. But this story is so much more than that. This story in the book of Jonah is about a good and gracious God. Jonah chapter 4 verse 2 is the most clear picture of God in the entire Bible. I think we have it here. It says, Jonah prayed to the Lord, Isn't this why I have said, Lord, while I was still at home? That is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God. That's why Jonah ran. He, he knew of their sins. He knew of this city that was stooped in wickedness. And he wanted to see the worst for them. And God said, you're going to go and you preach. And I'm going to save them. And he didn't want that. It's wrong for us today to think that the God of the Old Testament is a God of wrath and vengeance and that the God of the New Testament is a God of love. Because in the book of Jonah, it is clear that he is a God of love and a God of grace. What's also interesting about Jonah is how Jesus talks about him in the New Testament. This is the only other time that he's mentioned other than the book of Jonah and 2 Kings. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus saying, you know, how Jonah was resurrected, he was brought back. I mean, Jonah would have thought that that was the end for him. He thought he was going to drown. That, that's how that was going to be it. And this fish comes and swallows, swallows him up, and now he can breathe again. But now he's sitting in the stomach acid. He's getting burned from it. He's going, all right, well, I'm just going to get digested, I guess, and that'll be it for me, too. Thank you, God, for, for saving me from drowning. And this whole prayer of, you know, thanking him from saving him, yet he was still trapped. He could have still thought that that was the end, that that was it. But Jesus says, you know, he was there for three days and three nights, and I'm going to be in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. When I was reading up on this, I was talking about how Jonah in the Old Testament is the only book that, as a whole, is a prophecy of the resurrection of Jesus. There's lots of books in the Old Testament that talk about salvation, that talk about the redemption, the coming Messiah, but this book in specific mentions the resurrection when you look at it from Jesus' lens. Need a little sip of water. All that singing. Oh. Some of you already, might know already, my wife assures me of this a lot, that I have a very loud laugh. <laughs> Sounds like you know already. It can carry a distance, I'm told, and I've experienced this. Um, some years ago, when I was still living in Surrey, my brother and I went to a large department store. And, I'll oh, just wait. 
And we were on one side of this department store looking at some rock climbing gear, and we're joking and we're laughing. And a friend of ours came around the corner, and we're like, oh, how's it going? And he's like, I knew you guys were here. What do you mean you knew that we were here? Did you see our vehicle? He's like, no, 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 no. I knew you were here because I could hear Alec laugh because I was looking at the bikes on the other side of this large store. <laughs> I, would, I wish I could say that was the only time that's happened, and it's very much not. It has happened lots of times that people have found me in stores because I'm laughing or have found me somewhere because I'm laughing. Even a couple weeks ago, we were at Camp Evergreen, and I was speaking with the kids there. And Aaron was walking with the boys, and there's, you know, it's trees, there's buildings in the way, and she could hear me laugh. She went, oh, he's over there somewhere, and came and found us. It's kind of like a beckoning call, I guess. But when I get ramped up or excited about something, I just can't help it. I become loud and boisterous, and my laugh just carries. God talks to us and leads us in many ways. You'll see the connection here in a second. Sometimes he whispers to us quietly. Sometimes he's very loud and boisterous in how he shares with us. He guides us through our friends, our family, our mentors, and the conversations that we have. Primarily, though, he speaks to us through the scriptures. And there's many ways this can happen. Sometimes the scripture will just feel like it's jumping off the page at you when you're reading. Or as you're going through, something stands out that's new that wasn't there before. Maybe you have questions about a passage or, is, or thoughts, and you want to discuss them with someone. Sometimes, though, God speaks to you loudly and audibly, and it's hard to ignore like a loud laugh in a department store. When that happens, we need to take notice, and we need to follow that voice calling us, beckoning us. When those scriptures are jumping off the page, or we have questions about what we're reading, or something stands out, or when we hear that same verse over and over again in different situations, that's God speaking to us, calling us loudly. When we first got married, we were stuck in the book of Philippians, it felt like forever. Everywhere we went, we went to a different, we were you know, trying out a few different churches in the area, going to different places, hanging out with friends, going to different Bible studies. And it felt like everybody was going through the book of Philippians that week or that month. We would turn on the radio and listen to the Christian radio station, and the verse of the day would be something from Philippians. And it was very clear. And I remember talking to one of my pastors, or to a pastor about this. And I said, You know, I feel like I've just been stuck here in this book for so long. And he's like, Well, what's God been teaching you? How has he, what has he been highlighting? He's trying to talk to you about something here. And that happens. We hear those verses over and over again. Or sometimes God has something that stands out to us. Or we read something and it just catches our attention and we can't stop thinking about it. And that's God speaking to us. And when we hear those things over and over again, it's like God is saying, can you hear me now? I'm here, I'm speaking to you. Another great example of God Stepping in and asking that question comes from David in the Old Testament. I talked about him a few weeks ago, about his, how he shows his raw emotions in the book of the Psalms, and how his sorrow is expressed clearly, and how his joy is expe- expressed so clearly. 
And this was a man labeled uh, a man after God's own heart. This was a man who was, you know, anointed as the next king of Israel when he was a young shepherd boy, just before he kills Goliath. But once he was a king, and once he was older, he still fell into sin, even though he was this great man of God. And he commits adultery, and to cover it up, he kills the husband in battle so that he could take this woman as his own wife. And all these things he's trying to do to cover up, and God sends the prophet Nathan to him. And Nathan tells this elaborate story about these two men, and he stole a sheep. And David said, that man needs to die. And Nathan says, that is you. You have done this. And so David is, is struck with this confrontation from God, and this conviction from God. And Psalm 51 is David's prayer. I'm going to read the whole thing here, and I want you to just meditate on these words today. Psalm 51 says, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb and you taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear your joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you, are, you who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, with, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem, then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. I just want to go back to verse 12, 13. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. Like a loud laugh in a small room, God's voice will become undeniable and unavoidable. But that takes some time. It takes practice to learn and to listen. But the more you do, the more you learn to listen, the easier it becomes to hear his voice. Sometimes it is undeniable and unavoidable, and it seems like God is saying, can you hear me now? So listen for him. Don't avoid him. Don't run in the other direction, but lean in. Because he's speaking to you and he wants to do great things in and through you, no matter of your age or your position or where you are in life. You might feel like you're in the belly of the beast, 
Maybe you're dealing with grief or anger or feelings of resentment or feelings of inadequacy. Maybe things are finally looking up and you can see that light at the end of the tunnel. Whatever day or week you've had, wherever you are with your walk with Christ in this moment, let today be a reminder to lean in and to listen. When he directs, he speaks, he makes it clear. If he wants you to stop one thing and direct you somewhere else, he's going to make that evidently clear. If doors are open and he's saying, you can pick, he'll make that clear. If you need to cry with someone, I pray that you find that person that you can confide in and let God comfort you through them. If you need to celebrate and shout from the rooftops of the great things that God is doing, I'll go and open that door for you and we'll go up there together. God is here and he is moving and he's powerful to overcome all of our sin, all of our transgressions. Whatever it is you're dealing with today, he is our rock, he is our foundation, our hope and our rescue and he's calling and he's speaking to you. Might be in a subtle way, might be a verse that sticks out, might be in a powerful way where you hear something over and over again or God is speaking loudly and audibly to you and it can be like God is saying, can you hear me now? Are you listening? Let me pray. God, I don't know what kind of weeks that we've had, what kind of day that we've had, what kind of month we've had. God, you know where everybody is at right now. You know all the joy that we're feeling. You know all the, the hurt that we're feeling. You know the things that are in our hearts. God, would you just make that clear to us, where you're leading us, what you're speaking to us. God, I, I pray that we can come to you today and we can finally listen to you as you knock and as you speak loudly and go, can you hear me now? So Lord, my prayer this, this week for all of us here and watching online is that we don't run away from you. We don't run away from your direction, that we don't hide in the darkness when we fall away from you, God, and when we sin against you. My prayer is that we can come before you with humble hearts, and that we can lay it at your feet, and that we can let you lead us and guide us no matter what storm we may face. God, we know you are here. Even though we ask sometimes, are you even there? God, we know you are in this room. Speak to us, for your servants are listening. In your name we pray. Amen.